What would you do for money? Specifically, what would you do for $10,000? Now, how you answer that question probably has a lot to do with where you are at in your life. I mean, maybe maybe you don't need $10,000. Uh, maybe you're desperate for some money. C- could you imagine if you were a college kid and somebody came to you and said, Hey, I'll give you $10,000. What are you willing to do for it? In 1980, around that time, a radio station in uh, Chicago had a contest. And they said, we will give somebody $10,000, but you have to be willing to give us the most outrageous thing that you would be willing to do for that $10,000. And, and here's the catch, you have to do it. Now, that just sounds like recipe for disaster and probably a lawsuit, but they did it. And this is what happened. They received about 6,000 responses from, the article says, full-tilt crazies. (laughs) From people that were crazy. I would love to read those, wouldn't you? Just to see what people would be willing to do for $10,000. Would you like to know who won? And more importantly, what he had to do. This guy's name was Jay. Jay Gwaltney of Zionsville, Indiana. And his plan for $10,000 is that he would eat a tree. He was willing to eat an 11-foot birch sapling. Okay, so this isn't hardwood. You know, this isn't like me biting into this pulpit. It's a sapling, a little bit softer, but still, 11 feet is 11 feet. I mean, that's, that's no teeny tiny sapling. He had to eat the whole thing, leaves, roots, bark, and all. For the event, he donned a tux, dined at a table set elegantly with china, sterling, candles, and a rose vase. That must have made it easier. He was, <laughs> I love this part, he was armed with pruning shears. No fork or spoon for him. The Indiana State University, now aren't you glad for higher education? It's obviously paying off. Uh, he began chomping down from the top of the tree and worked his way branch by branch to the roots. His only condiment was French dressing for the massive birch leaf salad. Ugh. This culinary feat took 18 hours over a period of three days. I have to wonder, did he take breaks for meals? Because, I mean, you're eating constantly. But that can't be good for you. You'd have to eat something else, I would imagine. When it was all over, Gwaltney complained of an upset stomach. You think? (laughs) Captain Obvious? Now, again, another disclaimer. I'm reading this out of an article that was published. This is... The words of the author is not my words. Evidently, the bark was worse than his bite. That's not me. That's it's right there. I think it's horrible when people put bad jokes like that in things. I would never do that. Would you eat a tree for $10,000? I'm so, yeah, somebody's like, yeah. I, I'm tempted to ask for a show of hands, but I won't. I won't. That, that could go poorly. Look, money can be a great blessing. Money can be a great blessing. It can be something that God uses to bless us. And we're going to look at what Scripture says about money. And we, need, we do need to start with the concept, it can be a blessing. It can also be a great evil. God is the one who chooses how money should operate in our lives, not us. 
So as we look at this, and, and we need to understand, we're walking through the wisdom literature, we're trying to glean some of the topics that are a big deal in the wisdom literature, especially in Proverbs, and the topic of money comes up again and again and again. Because wisdom in Scripture is taking this big idea of who we know God to be, our faith in Him, our trust in Him, our understanding of His plan of salvation and His will in the world, and then taking all of that and applying it right where the rubber meets the road in our lives. How do we live practically trusting in God's great plan? And money is a big part of that, whether we want it to be or not. So let's walk through some of the things that Scripture has to say about money. Early in this week, I sat down and I just went through the book of Proverbs. And I marked every single verse that had something to do with money. There's a lot of them. I didn't go back and count them. I was too lazy for that. But there are a lot of them. Now, first service, I had somebody count every single reference that we look at. We're going to look at 25 different Proverbs or passages in Proverbs. So buckle up. There's going to be a lot of them. I want to start with this idea of money and wise tension. I don't like the concept of balance. People often use balance. Well, you just need to be balanced in your understanding of money or balanced in your understanding of theology. There are some things I think balance is good for, but I like the term tension. And let me tell you why. You see, balance is a concept that you have two things and they need to be equal in weight. And, and you're sort of the fulcrum, okay? You're right here in the middle. And what happens if you go too far to one side? Well, the thing falls. It, it just tips. The whole thing unravels. Now, get tension. And I have bungee cords in my office, and I forgot to bring them. Okay, so picture, I'm up here with two bungee cords and something hang in the middle, hanging in the middle. Okay? And that thing in the middle is in tension. The bungee cords are pulling it in both directions. If I grab that thing in the middle and pull it one direction, what does the other bungee cord do? It pulls it harder back. It corrects automatically. When we come to Scripture, there are often things that are presented that I believe are meant to be kept in tension. Not balance, tension. So that when we're wandering in error in one direction, there's a truth that is pulling us back in the right way. And sometimes we come into sermons or Bible studies that are on those things and we feel it in our gut and we think, oh, I don't like that. It's criticizing me. It's telling me something I don't, I should be doing differently. That's tension pulling you back in the right direction. Let's talk about the tension of money. The first is that God can and does use money to bless people. All right? Look at Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Okay? Here's one side of the equation. God, like a good parent, wants what's best for us. God loves to give us good gifts. One of the gifts that God can give us is money. And there are times in Scripture God blesses people with money for his purposes. Some Christians, we go so far the other way, say, oh no, money's just evil, and, and God doesn't do that. God wants you to be poor, to be happy. Maybe that's just something pastors hear. God wants you to be poor, and he'll keep you poor, missionaries. Okay, but there are passages in Scripture that do say that God does, at times, bless people with money. So there's one side of the tension, okay? Now, if that's all we have, we are way out of whack with the rest of Scripture. And there are churches you can go to today, there are authors, there are preachers, that that's what they're preaching. And they are right according to a few verses. 
but they're missing the other side of the equation. Money can be dangerous. Look at Proverbs 11.28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. You don't hear that in the wealth and prosperity gospel preachers. This is the correction to it. Money isn't everything. Here's the other thing I'll tell you from looking at some of these scriptures about it. God can use money to bless people, but you cannot say that if you are poor that God is not blessing you. Money is one avenue that God can choose. He has many, and he may choose a different one for you. Likewise, here's another error. You cannot say that because somebody is wealthy that they are necessarily being blessed by God. In fact, there are times that that money in their life is actually a discipline. And you might think, oh, God, discipline me. That would be wonderful. But it's not. You look at the pattern of some of these people's lives, and that money in their life is often a curse to them. So let's be careful. God can use money to bless. Doesn't mean he always will. Money can be a blessing. Doesn't mean it always is. But there is a huge tension that money can be dangerous. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Let me read this for us. Sorry, I was in Psalms there. Pastors do it too. Okay. You know, if I would have just turned to where the bookmarker was, I would have been fine. All right, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Again, here's the tension. God, I don't want to be too wealthy. Because here's the danger on the side of wealth. I might become so self-sufficient that I forget about the Lord. And the author's saying, I don't want that. I don't want to forget who God is. and I don't want to fail to remember to rely upon him and trust in him. And my money might become an idol in my heart. It might pull me away from my trust in the Lord. I don't want that. Okay, so there's one side. And then he says, but I also don't want poverty. And here's why. He says, I may become poor and steal. Now, let's be real careful here, okay? Some of you may be tempted to leave the the church today and say, well, the pastor said poor people steal all the time. I'm not saying that, okay? And the Bible's not saying that. But there is a temptation, and I think this is equally true of poor and wealthy people, but here it's talking about the poor. When we're in a situation where we're stuck, there is a temptation to fall into what's known as situational ethics, a selective obedience that is dependent upon that situation. And we may say, I'm having a hard time putting bread on the table. I'm having a hard time feeding my kids. I'm having a hard time paying my bills. Therefore, if I have to bend the rule a little bit here, if I have to mark a different number on my tax return, if that's what I have to do to survive, who are you to judge? You're not in my shoes. That's situational ethics. Right and wrong becomes determined by the situation that I'm in. And this person who's writing this is saying, I don't want to dishonor the Lord. I don't want to be put into a situation where that's my choice and I would be tempted to undermine the very righteousness and holiness of God. 
We need to have a proper tension. We need to also have a higher perspective. There's more going on in dealing with our money than just wealth and poverty. That's too simplistic. Proverbs 22 verse 2 says this, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. We might be tempted when a poor person walks into our life or into our neighborhood or into our church. We might be tempted to look at them in a different way. We might inwardly be judging them. We might be tempted also if we see somebody that's fairly well-dressed, fairly well-to-do, or somebody that we know has money to treat them differently. But this says, wait a minute, God made both of them. They both have value in the Lord's sight that has nothing to do, zero to do with their money, poverty or wealth. There's that higher perspective, that it's not about the money, it's actually about God. Now, let me step out of the sermon for a second to apply this somewhere else, okay? Tuesday, we're going to vote. All right, we've got two candidates. A lot of people have really strong, I guess we have a little more than two candidates, but people have very strong opinions on this. Let's remember Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, both of these people are created in the image of God. Both of them have value in God's sight. Doesn't make them right, doesn't make them wrong. Let's be loving and how we discuss this. Your friends and family that are going to maybe vote differently than you, they also were created by God just like you. They're answerable to him. Let's keep this in mind as we view things, okay? Let's treat people with the love of God, not with our own earthly wisdom and judgment, no matter how righteous we might think that is. Fair enough? Okay, back into the sermon now. The higher perspective, the Lord is the maker of them all. The other higher perspective is what we talked about, pursuing wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. I hope by now in our sermon series you've understood that wisdom is not about smarts. It's not just about education. It's not just about how much you know. Wisdom in Scripture is understanding who God is, what he has done and is doing specifically in salvation, and then living that out in our lives in relationship with him. If this is the God that made the world and this is the way the world works, it is foolishness to live in a way contrary to that. That's wisdom. So when we say get wisdom, it's saying grow in your relationship with God. Get to know who he is. Don't just focus on money or, or any of the other topics in the Proverbs. Focus first and foremost on God, and these other things will find their place in that relationship with him. Money ultimately is a tool that can be used for God's glory, but it is also very dangerous and can turn us away from him. So we need to keep a proper tension. First, a focus on God, and then avoiding the problems associated with both wealth and poverty, laziness and greed. Now let's look at a perspective on money. Because the Proverbs has, have a lot to say about keeping a proper perspective on money. Money is not the most important thing. I know that's shocking, ground-shaking. But let's talk about some things that are. Proverbs 19, verse 1 says, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. 
And that talks about, that concept of perverse is, I think in other translations it's used of lying lips. So it's, it's lips that just don't speak the truth. This really goes to the heart of a good character. Riches are not more important than a good character. If you want to focus on living wisely, and, and you want to focus on money as a part of that, start with allowing God to affect, infect, and change your character from the inside out. Because the usage of your money is going to be far more impacted by how God is working on your character than just the choices that we're making in our checkbook. Start with good character. Proverbs 16, verse 8 says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. We cannot say in the pursuit of money, whether to save money or to earn money, that it's okay to do whatever we want. Injustice throughout Scripture is is often this concept of hurting others in order to get what we want. Let me... I'm nervous about applying this because it's something I don't know a lot about. But I want to challenge us as Americans. Our standard of living... Some of the cheapest goods that we get in order to save money come on the backs of people that are being horribly persecuted and great injustice is, doing, is being done to them so that we can shop and save a couple bucks. I encourage all of us to take this serious. Let's not just turn a blind eye to this. This says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a slightly higher Walmart bill than injustice. Let's be careful with the goods that we are purchasing. Let's take some moments and learn where they're coming from and why and and what conditions the people are in. Let's be wise about our spending and our purchases. The other thing that's greater than money is wisdom. A right relationship with God. Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11 says, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And again, wisdom is not some some idea, some intellectual idea or common sense separated from God. It is a relationship with God and living in terms of that relationship. So read that phrase, nothing you desire can compare with her. What are you desiring in your life right now? What's the thing causing the most anxiety that you think, if this was solved, everything would be okay? What's your greatest hope right now? I'm working toward this, and if I can just get this, then everything will be great. What's your greatest joy right now that's going on? Now take all of those and listen to the words of the Almighty God. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom a right relationship with God, lived out in our lives. Money can be used for important things, but it must never be allowed to become the most important thing. We have to have a proper perspective. We also need to understand that money can't do everything. Money ultimately can't provide security, and I think this is one of the greatest dangers of the lies of our world, that money will make you secure, but it can't. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. 
It will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Could you imagine waking up tomorrow and checking your bank account and just, it's gone? You see, we almost, we can't fathom that because we have laws to protect that, and I praise God for that. But there are people in the world that that's the way they live. One minute, they they have a dollar in their hands, and it, it actually means something. They can buy something with it the next day. It's worthless. It's less than a penny because something changed in the country. Guys, the times might come for us. I don't know when or how, but we need to understand that there is a false sense of security in money. Cast but a glance at it. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust in your own cleverness. Money can't do everything. Money cannot ultimately provide happiness or meaningful relationships in our lives. Proverbs 15, 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. How often do we wear ourselves out day after day after day and we come home and we snap at the kids and we snap at our wife or our husband. We, we come home and we struggle and we say, well, this is the way it has to be because I've got to work and I've got to do this and I'm wearing myself out and there's turmoil at home. And we've bought into this lie that the best thing for you is to be overworked. This is what you have to do to survive. Because you have to have the cell phone and and the nice car and the bigger house and the nice lawn with the picket fence and you have to have all these things, otherwise you're poor. My friends, if you're here today and you're living in America, guess what? You're rich. You're rich. Don't buy into the lies of our culture that you always need something more. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. This is a picture of the good life. In this culture, they would have heard that description and said, Yes, that's what I want. And then the proverb comes in and says, Wisdom is the path. Not necessarily to treasure, not necessarily to the big house. I think those are symbols. I think they're meant to help us understand there is a good life that is given by God that may not look like what we think it'll look like. Do we trust him both for the gift and for the definition of what to do with it and what it means? Also, money is a horrible long-term investment. Proverbs 11, verse 4, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Look, nobody's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be asked the question, how much money was in your bank account? Nobody. God doesn't care. That's that's not on the entry form into heaven. On the entry form into heaven is, have your sins been paid for? Are you righteous? If your answer is, yes, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, then you'll be with Christ forever. If your answer is, well, I tried to be a good person, I tried to do things my own way and do what seemed right to my own eyes, then you have no part in the eternity that God has for us. Because He is God and we are not. Money is a horrible long-term investment. Money can be dangerous. Proverbs 21, 25-26, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Here's the danger of laziness. The sluggard has needs. He has things that he needs, food. 
he needs a job, he needs a shelter, he, he needs these things, and so rightly, appropriately, is craving them, but refuses to work. When we talk about money, we also need to deal with the sluggard. We need to deal with the person who is too lazy to work, because that is also a misunderstanding of money. It might look self-righteous. Oh, we hold those people up on a pedestal. Oh, they're untethered from the, the ways of this world and they're living according to their own beat and they do whatever they want. It sounds so romantic and wonderful, but too often they're living off the backs of other people and they're bleeding them dry. And so their heart longs for things. I need food. I need a car. I need this job. I need shelter. I need these things and you have to give it to me. And it's ripping them and often the people around them apart. That's a danger of money, the danger of laziness. There's a danger of greed. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Greed, seeking for money, so often leads us to do things we wouldn't do otherwise. We throw reason out the window. We throw God's truth out the window. And again, Proverbs 16.8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Are we trusting in God and keeping that greed and that oppression of others in check as we trust Him? There's a danger of impulsiveness. Proverbs 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. If money is a tool that God gives us, a, a, a blessing that He gives us, we need to be diligent, intentional, wise in our usage of it. We can't just say, well, I've got this money, I'm going to go spend it on this thing that I want right now. And so often we have no plans to be careful with our usage of money. We have no priorities in where to spend our money. We, we haven't spent the time to develop the character and the understanding of God's truth. So when a blessing comes, we don't think about it. And it just goes. And we might be missing out on something that God has for us in that moment. There's a danger of false security. Proverbs 18.11 The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. History is full of cities that said there's no way anybody could ever conquer us. History is filled with nations and empires that said there's no way. And this is tying into that. People that said, no, I'm good. I'm secure. Look at the wealth. Look at my 501k. Look at my bank account. Look at my investments. I'm secure. History is also filled with times that those people realized just how insecure they were. And just like those cities where one day somebody figured out a way in and the city fell, people that trust in money and have that false security realize one day it's not enough. I don't think it's an accident that right before this verse, Proverbs 18.11, is this verse, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. Money needs, demands a wise perspective in our lives. In 1928, a group of the world's most successful and wealthy businessmen gathered in Chicago. And an article in the newspaper at that time, uh, the, the newspaper author, the person wrote and said, to the younger generations, you guys should look at these people. You should model your lives after these people. Look at how wealthy they are. Look at how powerful they are. This is what you should do. Listen to what happened to those people within 25 years, just some of them. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died broke. 
The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died while facing serious legal charges and was also broke. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, eventually went to prison. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. And I could go on and on and on, just from that one group of businessmen that the world held up and said, you be like them. To my kids and to all the kids gathered here, I want to tell you, don't be like them. Follow the truth of God's word. Money can be a great blessing, but it can also be a great danger. We have to live with a proper perspective. First on God and his plans, and then on salvation through Christ, and then everything else becomes a tool for living this out in our lives. Or, with the wrong perspective, it becomes a dangerous idol in our lives. Finally, how do we apply this? How do we live this out? Let me just give you a couple ways. Number one, honor God. Honor God with your money. Instead of looking at it as, how do I get more? How do I keep what I have? How do I have less? How do I do what I want to do with my money? Stop and step back and say, how do I honor God first and foremost? Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now look, we, again, we have to be careful. Proverbs are generalities. They are general promises. The meat that is in this particular proverb is, you need to trust the Lord with your money. And, and this is always so hard for me as a pastor because I think so many people abuse this subject. But I, it's also unavoidable. Giving a tithe, giving offering, giving back to the Lord, whether it's through our offering plate or missionaries that you support or another church that you support, I don't care, okay? This isn't about trying to get money for Orchard. This is about you and your relationship with God. And the Bible says in your relationship with God, you need to give. You need to. God has put that into our lives as a check on our heart to make sure that money does not become an idol. If you're not finding a way to give, I can almost guarantee you that money is becoming an idol in your life. And at the very least, I can say you're out of line with what Scripture teaches. Again, don't give it to me. I'm not, this is not to get rich, okay? If you, you're here and this offends you that I'm saying, find another good place to give your money. I don't care. But give because the Lord says so. And again, understand, this does not mean that everybody who gives is going to be blessed with wealth beyond measure. That is a lie. This is one verse. But I can tell you this. God does bless those who give. In his way, his time, his means. Leave that up to him and just trust him in that. Honor God with your money. Secondly, live within your means. Avoid debt. Provide for your own. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Don't enslave yourself to somebody else. There is a time that it is appropriate and necessary to have to take on debt. Okay, Use it as a tool when it's necessary. But as Americans, frankly, it has become so easy for us to put ourselves into debt. And it is forced upon us every time we check out. Would you like to start a credit card with us? No! I don't want to! Just give me the pack of gum! It's everywhere! Well, you could save $25. No! No, you're not going to bleed me dry so I can save $25 right now. No! Friends, it's the easy way out 
to use credit to just live off of. Don't become a slave to the lender. And there are those here, probably, who are struggling with debt. Maybe debt that was appropriately taken on and and they're struggling with it. Maybe debt that wasn't appropriately taken on. Talk to them and they'll say, yeah, it really feels like I'm enslaved to them. It's hard. Live within your means. Another one, help others. Throughout Scripture, there is a general truth that if God has blessed you in any way, shape, or form, that blessing is never, ever, ever just for you. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. Don't become a logjam. Don't become the cul-de-sac. Don't become the stopper in the flow of God's blessing. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Whatever God has blessed you with, money, time, talent, resources, whatever it is, find a way to give it to others, to bless others, help others. Another practical outworking of living wisely, plan wisely for your money. Proverbs 27, 23 through 27, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with, with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. What? <laughs> How many of you read that for your devotions this morning? <laughs> what, what is it talking about? Okay, let's get into their cultural mindset. A lot of farmers, a lot of people raising sheep and goats. They had servants. We won't get into all of that. But what it's saying is this thing that you're invested in, growing wheat, at some point, it's not going to pay anymore. It doesn't make sense to just invest in wheat. Have some goats on the side. Okay? So your practical application, go home today and buy a goat. A goat okay? You're good. You're set. You're in line with the... No. This is, we have the phrase, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Another agricultural metaphor. Invest wisely. Plan wisely. I'm not saying you have to go out into the stock market and In fact, frankly, I, in general, don't think that's a great idea, but that's me. What I am saying is work at it. Be intentional. Where your money is, know it. Don't just throw it somewhere and forget about it. Say, I want to use this for God's glory and the good of the people around me. I'm going to do this intentionally. Plan wisely. Finally, don't just talk. Proverbs 15, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. It is easy to sit here and say, yes, I'm going to start tithing. Yes, I'm going to start on a budget because I'm not living within my means. Yes, I'm going to give to other people. I'm going to live generously. Yes, I'm going to apply these Proverbs to my life. It's easy to sit around the dinner table and speak about this with friends or sit over coffee. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We've got these great plans. It's going to be wonderful. At some point, stop talking. Start doing. Put it into motion. If you need help today, we've got some pretty smart people in this church. People that could probably sit down with you and help you with your budget and say, let me help you with this and I'll hold you accountable. If we're not the people to help you, maybe somebody else is and we could get you that help. But seek it. Take this seriously and put it into action to say, I want to honor God with my money. Let me close with a quote from Kevin DeYoung, another pastor. He says this, 1 Corinthians 1.30-31 says that Christ is for us wisdom from God. 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Money can't give you any of the things you ultimately need. It can't make you holy. It can't make you righteous. It can't save you from your sins. Wealth is a sign of blessing, but it's also one of your biggest temptations because it entices you to boast in yourself. It promises to be your self-worth and promises to make you self-sufficient. It invites you to boast in something or someone other than the Lord. So through and through, money is an issue of faith. Believe that doing things God's way is best for you. Believe that if you give your money away, He can, can give it back. Believe that money can be good, but don't you dare believe it is everything. Money is a gift from God, but the gifts you really need can only be found in God. In a moment, we're going to move to communion. And this right here is a constant reminder of what's most important in life. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we apply your word to our lives, we pray that we would be faithful, that we would be diligent, that we would be wise, that we would seek to honor you with our money. And whether you have given us a lot of money or a little bit of money, we can still bring honor and glory to you in that. And I pray if there's anyone here that some part, one of those Proverbs, some aspect has, has touched a nerve in their heart and, or maybe in their checkbook or their budgeting process, may you just help them to fall on their knees before you and say, God, I want to honor you in all areas of my life, but especially in money right now. Challenge them. I pray for the young people in this room. Help them to get a good start. I know it seems like this is a, a problem that is far off, that someday they'll have to think about it, but right now there's really nothing they can do. But God, build those habits and that discipline and that desire in their heart right now to bring glory to you through the use of their money. Because God, I, I think so much that the world needs to see your people acting different. And people notice where money is spent and how it is spent and the motivation behind it, and the attitude of the giver. And so I pray that even in our use of money, we would point them to Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.